0: Money does not dictate my life. I have a good relationship with money. I check in with my money all the time, probably more than many people, but it is not the first or last thing on my mind at the beginning or end of each day. For me, it's kind of running in the background the way that I would imagine a person whose body is healthy is just kind of running. And that allows me to live in the here and now knowing that my money is being handled and is being monitored in a healthy way.
1: Welcome to on the dollar, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. I'm Sarah Lee Kane, your host and this is your space to explore your relationship with money. The guilt, stress, exhilaration and fear no topic is taboo. In this episode I chat with Lindsay Brian Podvin, a practicing financial therapist in the Midwest. As a first financial therapist in Michigan, she combines financial therapy with the emotional and psychological side of money. Lindsay has a background in mental health research and psychotherapy, having trained at the University of Michigan in social work. We chat about the differences between various types of financial professionals, why someone would want to go into financial therapy, and some of the common stressors around your finances. We also chat about creating boundaries around money, navigating finances with your partner, and how to use your body to understand what's going on in your financial life. This episode is brought to you by Fabric, a one-stop shop to organize your family's financial life. They have a few neat features, Fabric Wills, a free way to create a last will and testament that has been used by tens of thousands in families. I've tried it out and it's a pretty straightforward process. There's also Fabric Vault, a free and easy way for spouses and partners to create a map of their family's finances and securely share this information with each other. Think credit card information and account logins. They also offer Fabric Premium, simple and affordable term life insurance issued by Vantis Life. To find out more and get started by creating a free account for both Fabric Wills and Fabric Vault, head over to www.meetfabric.com. And to find resources that we shared in this episode, please go to www.beyondthedollar.co. All right, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Lindsay, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. So excited to have you on. Likewise. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. So I think we connected on Instagram somehow. I'm not really sure how I followed your account, but I love the idea of financial therapy because in the past on Beyond the Dollar, we've talked about financial planners versus financial coaches, but not really what financial therapy is. So can you just start off telling the listeners what exactly is financial therapy?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And first, I have to apologize for my voice. I'm drinking some throat coat tea as we go through this, but it is a little (laughs) scratchy. Yeah. So financial therapy is different than financial coaching or counseling, and that it takes a little bit more of the emotional and psychological pieces into play. We know, as you talk about all the time on your podcast, that emotions play into the way that we interact with our money. But a lot of times, it kind of gets pushed to the side for the things that we can do that are really concrete. Like it's really concrete to sit down and make a budget. It's really concrete to sit down and increase your contributions to your 401k. But we forget that there might be emotional or psychological reasons for resistance. Then that's what financial therapy does. It takes into account your family history, what your money lessons learned were growing up and tries to see how you're currently interacting with your money and making sure you're taking all those other things into consideration. So when you do move into a financially healthy relationship, you're not just looking at the black and
1: white bookkeeping side of things. Interesting. Okay. So I know in terms of financial planning, I know you have designations, money coaches, not necessarily, but what about financial therapy? Is there, if I were to look for a financial therapist, is there a certain type of designation that I should look for? Or what else should I look for?
0: It depends. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. financial therapy in, in the therapy world is relatively new. People who are in behavioral economics or marketing or sales also have that financial psychological connection. But in terms of financial therapy, it's relatively new in terms of credentialing. So the Financial Therapy Association has been around for about a decade, and the Financial Social Work Institute is also another credentialing institute that can provide you with a person who has gone through both mental health or social work training and financial literacy and education training. So you want to look for somebody who is aligned with the Financial Therapy Association or the Center for Financial Social Work. And then there are a couple of other programs, different universities right now. I know out in Maryland, University of St. Louis, University of Kansas, they all have different programs. So kind of newer, but those are the few places I would tell you to turn.
1: Excellent. Yeah, because I think that's good to know because I'm sure that there are people out there that are that's probably more in line with what they would like to talk about. I think money is definitely very emotional, as I'm sure you know. And you're right. Like something might look good on paper numbers wise, but you're still not making The decision, whatever that is, because of of some other deep rooted reasons. I know I've talked a lot about my past about hoarding money and being afraid of investing it because of emotional reasons. And, you know, I had to work through that. So, again, on paper, I had the money. I could put it into something, but I just couldn't do it. (laughs) So, that's great. So, let's talk about some of the stressors or issues that you help your clients with. So, in your experience, what have been some of the more common ones?
0: I mean, it runs the gamut, but I'd say one of the things is kind of what you just touched on, this idea of, I know I should, but I can't, or I know I should, but I keep getting stuck. And that should could be anything from taking your money from a checking or savings account and investing to something as simple to people in the personal finance world, as looking at your income and your expenses. So really, it's this sensation of stuckness, and that stuckness could come from a variety of, of different places. But my favorite thing about kind of talking about that stuckness is it's very similar to other mental health issues. My background is in depression and anxiety prior to pivoting towards financial therapy. And the thing I found again and again was that the more you talk about mental health issues anxiety stress depression bipolar illness the more you realize you're not alone and it's that same thing with money like the first time you start talking about it, it feels weird and uncomfortable and do i know what i'm talking about is this stupid am i the only one and then the more you get into it the more you realize you're not alone so for a lot of people it's just getting over that hump of being stuck and whether that means more financial education and literacy or whether that means diving deeper into a money story that tends to be a common
1: theme. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, no, you're right. Like when when people email me or when I used to do money coaching, very similar stresses, and I think mm-hmm. I know in the past and this is something I still have to work through is the thought that comes up about money and then I have to separate my thought from the emotions and then I have to then what I do is okay. What part of this is true? What part it's not true? Can I rewrite what I, my thought is or what my stories around this? And then, how are my emotions feeling differently, or the same, or more intense as a result of me changing that? Mm-hmm. And one of the really common things, and and I would, I'm really dying to know, is the idea of boundaries and money. Like, is this something that? a lot of you or your clients go through? I mean, I know I go through it. Like, How do you even begin to even unpack all of that? Because it's so broad, right?
0: Yeah, it's, it's so broad. But I think boundaries, like with any sort of counseling or therapy is so, so important. And when you're talking about boundaries with money, like you said, you could go a million different ways. But I find the way that I tend to see it is really in those interpersonal relationships. So having a hard time for a parent, let's say cutting off their adult child because they have this conflict over feeling like, you know, they're pulling the rug out from under them or they want to really help them or they have the extra money and why can't I do it? Or not being able to say no to lending out money to family and friends. I think in a lot of cultures, I mean, it just depends, but in some cultures, it's super common to go to a family reunion and then all of a sudden be handing out money or being asked for money. Whereas in other cultures, it's incredibly rude to do that. So it just depends on also your family background and culture and where you're coming from. But definitely, boundaries are really tricky when it comes to money. Like I, I was telling somebody the other day, the only thing that has more stigma around it than mental health is when you throw therapy and, um, or I'm sorry, when you throw money into mental health and then it gets all sorts of stickiness.
1: Yeah, because they're both, unfortunately, they're still a bit. Yeah. To, to yes. For some people to admit there's money stuff and to even admit you're going to a therapist or a counselor. Right. Right. right? Which hopefully we can remove a lot of that by mm-hmm. talking about it. Yeah. I know. I think boundaries is so interesting. I know we've talked about on the podcast in the past about friends and money, relationships and money. And I know for me, a lot of my stress came as a result of not having those boundaries or letting people cross the boundaries. And I never said hard no's. So, is there, has there been an example in your life or client where you've helped yourself or them work through a boundary? Like, how, what was the process through that? I mean,
0: there's lots of examples. Maybe give me an example of like a type of relationship and that would
1: help me think of one. Sure. Let's dive into like romantic relationships. Uh-huh. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, romantic relationships can be really tricky. I talk a little bit about my boundaries, how they were maybe, depending on how you look at it, a little bit too rigid when it came to money in my relationship. My partner and I come from different family backgrounds. And for me, it was very important for me to have my own money, to have my own account, to have things separate because I equated having my own money with safety. And for him, he found the opposite. He found that when our money was together, he found that to be really safe and comforting as a different type of intimacy and trust. And so it took me a long time to find that balance. And so for me, it was kind of letting that wall down when it came to my romantic relationship.
1: That is interesting. Yeah. It's so funny hearing people's stories and how they navigate is that when you're you know, speaking specifically romantic relationship, you both ultimately want the same thing or you have the same values, but how you go about it is different. And so that's where the, I don't wanna say conflict, but challenges come about. Like very similar things have propped up, come up with my husband and I, where we both value autonomy, but the way we approach money and autonomy was not necessarily the same. And so there was, we had to work through that in terms of like, how are you interpreting how we're spending money? In terms of that versus how I was doing it, and we really had to unpack a lot of it because we knew we had the same goals. It was just how did we approach it differently, and so it really became a challenge of like communicating how we felt, communicating how like what our worldview was. Which for me was like extremely (laughs) difficult to do so because I'm not the best at at expressing my emotions. But I don't know, like in your experience, like working with couples, like do have you found that where? a lot of them do have the same values or do want the same things, but it's really the way they're going about it that's different? It really,
0: the it can kind of go both ways. So one is that the couple has the same goal in mind, but their way to get to that goal is very different. And for other people, their definition of safety or security is different. So I can think of a couple who, for them, safety and security meant vastly different things. For one partner, In that relationship, safety meant having a ton of money in the bank. And for the other partner, that felt really scary because they were very numbers-oriented and they felt like that money wasn't keeping up with inflation. And for them, that felt really risky. For them, it felt much more secure and safe to have that money invested, whether it was through a retirement vehicle or in a brokerage account. But I found that really fascinating because they both wanted safety and security, but they both defined it very differently. So trying to help them strike that balance between how can we have both of you guys feeling safe when you log into your accounts? How can we make sure that both partners feel like we're covering the bases?
1: That's so interesting. So how would you work them through a, I'm not even sure if compromises, right? But how would you work them through that if if the way they're going about it is like it seems like it's a completely opposite directions in terms of like the security part of it.
0: Yeah, it's really therapy 101, making sure that they can really hear the other person. Because I think when in this particular situation, both of them kind of came in with their defenses ready, why they were right or why theirs was the more secure choice. And rather than it being, okay, person A is right and person B is wrong, it was really about getting each of them to hear the other person and get to the why behind their vision of security and see how we could kind of strike that balance rather than it being right or wrong. So so yes, finding a compromise for them was really about hearing the other partner and being able to have each of them compromise. So maybe yes for partner B, it felt like there was too much, quote unquote, money in cash they were able to see, okay, even though it feels like a little bit much for me, this is how my partner feels safe and secure. And being the numbers person that I am, I can still see that investing this amount of money, we will still be safe and okay. Even though it'd be nice if I had a little bit more in investments, it really is important for my partner to feel safe and secure. And I'm okay taking that little bit of an inflation hit.
1: Okay. I love that. I think that's great. It's it's all. It sounds like like you said, therapy one on offering different perspectives to what you're thinking and being open-minded to it. I think that's really, that sounds awesome. Switching gears just a smidge. Um, I did see your video on YouTube on the evidence-based uh, sensory motor therapy.
0: Yeah. And it's talking about like
1: checking with your physical stuff, And I love that because I think I talk about it a lot. I think we talked about it once in the podcast, but not, I think people are still like, what the heck does that mean? Like, how does that connect with money and and, and your emotional self? Like, Can you just explain to us what that is and how it works and how it can help? Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad
0: you saw that video. It makes me so happy. (laughs) So I pull from a bunch of different methods in my work, but sensory motor to me is a really good space for people to start with in the here and now. I think there's so much emphasis now on things like mindfulness and being intuitive. Essentially, sensory motor just means asking your body to tell you what is going on. For so many of us, I think you hinted at it earlier, it's really hard to put into words what we're feeling, whether it's an emotion or a sensation. So it can be really great to just kind of check in with our body. So in that particular video, I just talk about how to ground yourself and how to get yourself into more a space of presence. But the way that we can check in with our bodies when it comes to our money is check in with things like that gut check. So I think the example I give there is shopping. So say you're going shopping and you get to check out and you've got this armful of clothes and all of a sudden your stomach just drops to your feet. That's a good sign to check in with your body and go, okay, what is it that is causing this type of response? Why did my kind of giddiness and happiness walking to the cash register? suddenly completely disappear. And now I feel nauseous. That's a good gut check to say, okay, something's up. Something is different. What changed? Why is my body responding going from feeling really good to feeling really tense and nauseous? And in that case, maybe that person checks in and goes, Oh, yeah, this is $300 worth of clothes. And I really came in With a limit of $60 or $80, and how can I spend in line with my original plan so that I don't have this stomach flip?
1: (laughs) Yes, that's great. Yeah, it's also giving yourself time to pause. Like, that's how my interpretation was like giving yourself time to pause and just check in. Like, your body is a lot, I don't want to say smarter, but it's like, it's kind of like, gosh, this is going to sound like a terrible analogy. I apologize, everyone, but like, you know, the signs of like a heart attack or a stroke, like, here are the symptoms. Like if this is what it is, you <laughs> yeah. kind of have to, you know, yeah. you can't ignore it. You, you know, so it's yeah. kind of like it's almost like a terrible. I apologize, everyone. But but that's like the first thing that came to mind was like your body's obviously gonna tell you something, even though it's not like physical issue. Um, yes. But like you because what I found in my experience is like your emotions, like let's say you push them away, it gets it almost gets like stored in your body. And so like where that like it's kind of like you know, when you're typing from the computer for hours and your shoulders are hunched and you get you know you feel achy and I feel like it's kind of like that where your body's going to respond to what you're feeling and doing and so like you mentioned just giving yourself that like even minute just to pause and say okay what is really going on because mm-hmm. I know in my experience when I've ignored all those signs and ignored my gut and my emotions like I've gone into some doozies <laughs> in terms of my mind yes, yes absolutely
0: I can soften the heart attack analogy a bit. (laughs) Um, What I talk about a lot is our body's response to stress and anxiety. So if we feel those warning signs of, you know, your heart rate coming up or maybe feeling a little bit sweaty or nauseous or having a lump in your throat, that's usually a good sign that your body is saying something is dangerous. It's that fight, flight, or freeze response kicking in and checking in and going, okay, what is it that is causing these signals to fire? And is it how can I look at it and work with it to quiet down that response? You know, it's a healthy response. We need to respond to things that are scary and dangerous. And if those alarms are going off for too long, there's probably a reason. And when it comes to things like your money, you can usually feel it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Especially, it, I mean, for many, money is a form of security, right? It helps us pay mm-hmm. the mortgage or rent mm-hmm. and food and all that. So yeah, it's it's almost like if you're spending too much money on a handbag and it's going to affect your ability to buy groceries, yeah, it's definitely in a way it's like a direct threat to your security if you think about it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when I when I think about you talking about that hoarding, right? That was a piece of safety and, and holding on really really tight, but I can also imagine that your body was probably responding physically. Like when I think about a person holding on tightly to something, what comes to mind is a person with like tight fists and their muscles are all clenched up and maybe their jaw is really tight. So I can also imagine how your body might have been responding to holding onto that money, holding out of that money.
1: Yeah. It's so interesting. Something I've discovered is that when I get really stressed, and it doesn't have to be money, but it can be, is I just have this like deep desire to watch television. And I do not watch. Like, <laughs> I do not watch television. Like I mean, once in a while, I'll watch a YouTube video, right? But like, I just have this like really deep desire to like zone out, and I and it's funny because my body will actually relax when I start thinking about watching television, and I go, okay, that's really interesting yeah. because it's not really tense; it's I'm relaxed. But what does that really mean? Like, am I trying to run away from what's going on? Like, so that was like a new. Dis- yeah, it's a healthy coping skill and distraction tool. Is this
0: emotion is too much for me right now? What I need is something that is the opposite. And for some people, it might be slipping into a bath. And for you, you're saying, no, (laughs) sitting on the couch and watching mindless TV is that kind of Epsom salt bath for my body and my brain. So I'm all about that so long as it doesn't become the only thing. And as long as once you're able to regulate your body, you're able to go back to whatever thing it was that's stressing you out once you're in a calmer state of mind.
1: Love it. So I think you've already touched upon this, but in your experience, what have you, in general, what have you found like money issues or challenges to be like a larger symptom of? Ooh, could you clarify a little <laughs> bit? That's a big question. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it is. And the reason I ask is just from previous guests, whenever they talk about challenges in their relationships or like they seem like they're clashing on money, it just, it's a larger symptom of like, let's say communication or clash in values, kind of stuff like that. Yeah. So, but even for like people who aren't in relationships, let's say they're well, they're hoarding money, maybe it's a symptom of something that's happened in the past. Like I, I'm yeah. not sure if there's a generalization you can make in terms of that, or can you draw upon a specific story to have people maybe understand that money issues aren't just about money issues?
0: Yes. Okay. Thank you. That helps. So there is some research that talks about how a person could end up in a particular. Money behavior. So let's talk about hoarding. The easiest one to kind of draw on is the Great Depression in the US. A lot of people can resonate with their grandparents or great grandparents hiding money all over the house or saving every little scrap of food and how that experience of loss and trauma and trying to scrape by to survive ended up playing out in their money. So that's a really easy connection, I think, for people to draw. But there are certainly smaller ones that are also more present. Like I mentioned earlier, my aversion to wanting to share money with my spouse came because I learned from my mother, the importance of having your own money so you can leave a situation if it's no longer serving you. So that's where that came into play. It really had nothing. I mean, it had something to do with autonomy and feminism, but it really had to do with if I don't have my own money, then I am no longer am safe.
1: Mm, okay. So it's just a willingness to go into those parts of yourself that you may not want to and, and to figure that out. I mean, I think yes. it seems like the biggest challenge is like figuring out the why and then really working with it. I don't want to say run away or solve it because I don't think your money emotions are ever going to go away. <laughs> but it's really like, okay, now that I understand this, like maybe deflected, is that what you would do in terms of, with your clients if if you figured out what's really going on behind the scenes?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I get where you're coming from. I would say it's less deflection and more compassion. So looking at what situation or series of situations brought you to relate to your money in the current way that you do and seeing is there a way that we can look at that situation or series of situations and... Look at it with some kindness or forgiveness or compassion so that we don't have to continue replaying out that scenario again and again and again.
1: Mm, Love it. Yeah. What would you say has been the biggest lesson you've learned about money in your life? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) That is a
0: huge question. I don't know if it's the biggest lesson, but what I would say I have to consistently remind myself of is that talking about money is not innate for most people. And even though I love money and personal finances, and I follow all the podcasts and watch all the the YouTube things, it's not very comfortable for most people. And I have to remind myself again and again, that just because I like talking about it, and I feel really comfortable asking people about it, that most people aren't going to be in that same space. So for me, the biggest lesson is just approaching it with each person, whether that's a friend or family member or one of my clients in a space of where are they coming from with their money? And how can I not like just come in super hot and <laughs> like explode with like money information all over the place?
1: I love it. And last question is, how are you living beyond the dollar? I live beyond the dollar because money does not
0: dictate my life. I have a good relationship with money. I check in with my money all the time, probably more than many people, but it is not the first or last thing on my mind at the beginning or end of each day. For me, I know that my relationship with money is healthy enough so that it's it's kind of running in the background, the way that I would imagine a person whose body is healthy is just kind of running. And that allows me to live in the here and now knowing that my money is being handled and is being monitored in a healthy way.
1: Love it. Again, thank you so much for coming on. So where can people find you if they're interested in... Sorry, I'll also drop the link to the video that I reference in the show notes, everyone, beyondthedollar.co. But where can they find you? Yeah, Sarah,
0: they can find me at mindmoneybalance, M-I-N-D. I'm pretty active on Instagram. My goal for 2019 was to put out a couple YouTube videos every month. So I'm still working on that. And then at my website, mindmoneybalance.com
1: as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Lindsay. Just so many insights and I love it. So if you do need help with money, sometimes I think as much as you can learn from books and podcasts like this one, sometimes you just want to seek the help of a professional. So my parting question for you is really just reflect on what sorts of challenges are you currently working through with your finances? And really, really consider, is it something you can work through on your own? Is it something you can dig into a book and, and kind of go through that? Or is it something that you really think you might need the help of a professional with? And sometimes it doesn't mean you have to have a long-standing relationship with someone. It could just be you need a one-off consultation or, you know, a call just to just to say what's going on and then they can let you know if if you need more help or they're not a good fit, et cetera. So think about the types of professionals that you may need to seek the help of because again, like in the episode we chatted about, there's differences between different types of financial professionals, right? We've got Lindsay who's a financial therapist who works through more of the emotions and the psychological implications of your financial life or you know with your relation, spouses, partners there's financial coaches who deal with more practical stuff i guess you can say in terms of like budgeting and really getting clear more on your goals and values and working the numbers into that then you've got financial planners who look at your overall financial life as well as investments and they typically make recommendations in terms of accounts you need to open or assess fees things like that so There are, all three are great, but again, it really depends on what you, what you need. So if you have any questions about that, you're not quite sure, definitely hit me up Instagram at beyond the dollar, or you can email me, hello, beyond the dollar.co, and I'd be happy to try to point you in the right direction. All right. So it's time to answer some of your questions about living beyond the dollar. And this segment is brought to you by Fabric. So like I mentioned in the introduction, they have free products like Blast Will and Testament, and Fabric Vault, where you can securely share financial information with partners. So definitely check them out. Go to www.meetfabric.com. So, on to today's question. And today's question is from Bill. So, thank you, Bill, for submitting your question. He says, I see so many of these online courses that help you get out of debt or help you budget better. But to be honest, I'm skeptical or I'm not sure it's going to work for me. So what would you suggest I look for to help me decide? So I send these questions to Allison, who's a millennial money expert and the editorial director of Fabric. And finally, enough, she's like, self-promotion alert, right? You can consider signing up for the Fabric newsletter. Just go to meetfabric.com. They have some articles there on budgeting and living a better financial life. I will add that there are some really wonderful courses that have been put up by colleagues of mine and friends of mine that will help. But I think before you even consider that, I would really assess what it is that you are looking for and get and have a goal in mind before you even buy a course. Because sometimes I think some of the marking language out there makes us feel like we need something when we don't, or we're in that place of where we just don't feel good about ourselves and and this is a trap that I've gotten into and then I buy a course thinking that it will somehow fill this emotional need and it wasn't it wasn't what I was looking for it didn't deliver what I thought whether or not you know the course is actually good or not so get clear on that I would almost suggest not almost I would suggest that find some books right if you're like I have no clue how to budget there are tons of budgeting books out there One of my favorite books is actually by Erin Lowry, Burke Millennial. So she has, I think, two books out now. I'll put those in the show notes. And you can read that. There are so many blogs and podcasts. Just start digging into it. And then you're going to eventually find that some of the material is great, but maybe you're at a more advanced level or you just need a little bit more. And that's when I would probably think about courses. Or if you're in a situation where you're in so much debt that it's really difficult to get out of it. You just have no idea where to turn. There are services that you can seek. So they're not courses, but they're services. And there are lots of nonprofits that you can go to, to seek help from a professional. So definitely consider those. So thank you so much for the question, Bill. If you any of you out there have questions for me, again, hit me up on DMs on Instagram at the the dollar. Email me, so before I sign off today, I just wanted to give you a heads up before the last episode of the season. I tacked on an extra episode, so it's going to be 13 episodes instead of 12 for season 4 just because next week Grace Chan is on and she's just an absolute delight and I wanted to get that in. Second reason, just wanted to mention that I'm going to be taking a longer break between the seasons. So typically beyond the dollar has always been 6 weeks between seasons, but for season five, I'm going to be coming back probably in the fall just because I want to make sure that what I'm creating here in the community that I'm cultivating is really of value to you and it's of high quality. I don't want to be just churning out episodes for the sake of that. So it's going to be a little bit longer, but you can always find me on Instagram. So, all right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend it'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram, on one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar, send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. And if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to www.beyondthedollar.co. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, don't you love the new intro music? Thank you so much to Donovan Durance for providing this awesome song.